I feel people are going to be anxious to get back to the office and work with people. I mean, no one wants this to be the new normal. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that there will be a phased approach to it. Uh, certainly people who have compromised immunities uh, may be scared to go back into the office and, and uh, collaborate with others face-to-face. Um, but yeah, I, in businesses where people actually enjoy working with one another, where they enjoy meeting with their customers and prospects, where they uh, can build on the energy of working with others, I think people are clamoring to get back. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm your host, Andy Paul. And right now, you're probably asking yourself, where the heck is it's time to accelerate? Well, it's still here in spirit. It just has a new name. So why sales enablement? Well, let me fill you in. After nearly five years and more than 750 episodes of Accelerate, I thought it was time for a change. Time to update the show to reflect the challenges that lay ahead for all of us in sales. So I looked back at all the incredible conversations I've had, and there was a common theme that ran throughout. I've talked with over 700 incredibly smart people about anything and everything that enables you, whether you're SDR, BDR, AE, sales exec, account manager, or sales manager, to achieve more in sales. And that, friends is what sales enablement truly is about. And that's my goal for this program, as it has always been, to enable you to achieve more. So I figured that since I devoted the past five years and 758 episodes of this show to enabling sellers to achieve, I figured it's about time to update the name of the podcast to reflect that. So welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast, the show where I will explore anything and everything that will enable you, a salesperson, with the information, acumen, skills, and tools to have more knowledge-based sales interactions that are valuable to your buyers. And that's the important point. Interactions that are your buyers acknowledge are valuable to them. So I'm here to enable you to perform to the best of your abilities anytime you're in front of your buyers, whether that's virtually or literally. And finally, I'm here to enable you to achieve more. I mean, after all, that's what we all want, to do our jobs well, to be good at what we do, and feel good about how we do it, to improve, to achieve just a little more today than we did yesterday. So to help you achieve this, I'll continue to have in-depth, candid, and challenging conversations with the best and brightest voices in sales, sales leaderships, marketing, and more. We'll also be rolling out new features and segments on the show to educate and entertain you. So you've already seen new graphics for the show, and one of the biggest changes, my team and I are going to start bringing you multiple episodes per week. Now, to make sure you don't miss a single episode of the show, please make sure to go to iTunes and subscribe to the Sales Enablement Podcast. If you like what you've heard for the past 750 episodes, or even just this episode, please leave us a five-star review. And make sure to follow us on Spotify as well. I'd also really appreciate it if you continue to share these episodes with the people in your networks. And if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do that today. It will help me keep you up to date on everything we're doing to enable you to achieve more. Okay, ready? Let's get into it. Joining me on this first episode on the newly renamed Accelerate, which is actually now newly named the Sales Enablement Podcast, is Howard Brown. Howard is the founder and CEO of RingDNA. And I'm pleased to announce that the Sales Enablement Podcast is brought to you by RingDNA. And it's only been with their generous support that we've been able to make this all happen. And so, Howard, welcome to the show. Uh, Welcome uh, to you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, your third appearance on the show. So I should have said, welcome back. Well, it's it's great to be here, and I look forward to more opportunities. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we are sort of launching this rebranded Accelerate, the Sales Enablement Podcast, uh, in the teeth of the COVID-19 crisis. So how is how's the team at RingDNA handling this? As well as can be expected, I think that RingDNA was really at its core an application that allowed for uh, remote teams to do their job and to do it as effectively and efficiently as possible. Having said that, um, there's a lot of energy at RingDNA um, when we're within our walls, and there's a lot of excitement on a daily basis, a lot of collaboration. Um, Those pieces, while they're not gone, certain components of them are sorely missed as you don't have a whiteboard, you don't have the opportunity to just walk over to somebody else's desk and start riffing. So this has definitely changed um, the culture in some ways. Uh, We certainly have a collaborative culture, one where we, uh, we work together quite a bit and high energy, high excitement, but doing that through Zoom and and other tools, it's just not really the same thing. Um, However, I think we're in a much better situation than than most, and for that, I'm incredibly grateful for the entire team. Yeah, somebody had asked me that they made the statement to me that they thought this was the new normal, or what did I think would happen when this was done? And and maybe riffing off what you just said is, is... I feel people are going to be anxious to get back to the office and work with people. I mean, no one wants this to be the new normal. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I think that there will be a phased approach to it. Uh, Certainly people who have compromised immunities uh, may be scared to go back into the office and and, uh, collaborate with others face-to-face. Um, but yeah, I, in in businesses where people actually enjoy working with one another, where they enjoy meeting with their customers and prospects, right. where they uh, can build uh, on the energy of working with others, I think people are clamoring to get back. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think the point you made before about just feeding off the energy, especially in a sales situation, right? Feeding off the energy of everybody that's there on the sales floor ringing the bell when orders come in and so on. I think people want to get back to that. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I do think that we have proven that sales, uh, remote sales is possible with the technologies that exist today. I think that in communities like Los Angeles or San Francisco, where people are commuting for hours at a time, uh, the idea of working occasionally from your home or home office makes a lot of sense. Um, there's a lot more to be revealed. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I don't think we know exactly what's going to be the situation after this is done. I think you're right. It's going to take a while for people to sort of feel comfortable, certainly in in big group settings, right? To to reconvene, like sporting events and so on. It's hard to sort of even foresee. I mean, just looking at the behavior of people on the streets in New York is. Yeah, we give people a steer wide berth around people. We turn our backs on people. <laughs> I mean, New York's a very friendly place, actually, on the sidewalks. And yeah, it's really weird to see people like, turning their backs as people walk by and so on. It's, it's uh, interesting to think about how that's going to change back. Yeah, I feel like uh, as a society, we're going through a shared PTSD experience. And 
And unfortunately, hmm. the outcome of that uh, joint PTSD may be something that looks a lot like a joint OCD um, condition <laughs> where we yeah. all are so afraid of germs and touching and being near each other uh, for quite some while that we're going to have to work through it, much like someone with individual OCD has to work through uh, the challenges that they face with a variety of, of techniques and therapies and, and that sort of thing. I think it's going to, uh, I think it's going to resonate throughout our society for some time. Yeah, I was just reading something this morning about uh, sort of an interactive op-ed piece. I forget which which place it was at, but you know, various contributors talking about is the handshake gone? Yeah. So, all right. So, last point on this before I don't dwell on this too much is is so what are you hearing from your customers? It very much depends on which customers we have. Uh, we have uh, we're fortunate enough to have a wide swath of customers that represent. Uh, different verticals, uh, different sizes of their organizations. Uh, we have uh, we have companies that are absolutely thriving through this period. Specifically, companies in healthcare, uh, medical field, mm-hmm. um, companies that actually some companies that are in um, the food industry. Um, we have other companies that. Um, are really, really struggling because their offerings are simply not relevant uh, during this COVID crisis. So companies, for example, that do events, live events, mm-hmm. there's certainly right. no live events. I think everybody on this podcast can probably relate to uh, having to cancel a, uh, a sales event or, uh, or gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, or postpone it. It's simply not happening. So there's those sort of organizations. We we see companies that uh, are in the restaurant business that absolutely are getting crushed, or we have several customers that are in real estate. Uh, certainly real estate today is not thriving, and so we're seeing customers that are struggling. However, across the entire um customer base, we're seeing greater utilization of RingDNA's platform, mm-hmm. uh, a stronger um, stronger base of uh, supervisors and sales leaders who are utilizing the tool to do more coaching, mo- more oversight, um, have better visibility into what their remote uh, teams and team members are doing. So I think it's this is certainly an inflection point for Ring DNA and our go-to-market and growth in that we're able to prove the value prop of Ring DNA um, in a way because it's forced on our users. They they're forced to manage uh, field sales reps. Uh, more like an inside sales mm-hmm. rep. Inside sales teams are not in the office, so you have less visibility, less of that energy, less of that excitement, less opportunity to train and mentor them to provide guidance. And, and that's where our tool simply uh, simply helps teams win. So I think in general, this is a uh, this is a great moment in time for Ring DNA. Unfortunately, 
Um, it's something that's forced upon all of us and, and not something we, we celebrate, but certainly something we recognize as, as one of those inflection moments. Right. Yeah, it all makes all makes a ton of sense. Well, I mean, along sort of those lines, because we're talking about you know some transitions for people, we're talking about enabling some new capabilities for people. I mean, this the sellers. I mean, this show is now the sales enablement podcast. One of the topics we want to talk about is is there seems to be about as many definitions of what sales enablement is <laughs> as perhaps salespeople out there. Um, <laughs> I guess the first question is, you know, are we just putting a new name on an old problem? I mean, sellers have always had to be enabled, right? I mean, they've always had coaching and training and content. You know, sellers need content to sell. Or is something different afoot? Well, there's always something new afoot. And and I'll tell you, when we were discussing, and we've had a few really interesting conversations around the title of this podcast, and and, uh, it's been fun and stimulating, one of the things I thought about was the idea of sales enablement um, as opposed to buyer enablement. Because I, th- I think in many ways, sales, ma- sales enablement's job is to really enable buyers, right? How do Agreed. we help customers buy as opposed to confusing them? How can we improve sales effectiveness? And uh, because so much of the buyer's journey has changed, we really need to pay greater attention to what buyers are doing and what buyers' needs are and aligning our sales methodology, our sales approach, um, our opportunities to really influence that decision maker has has changed. And so um, putting the right metrics analytics in place to understand where we can actually influence that purchase decision mm-hmm. uh, across B2B purchases in particular uh, is more of the art and science now of sales enablement. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I, mean, I think that, that I mean, because you're, you're focusing it down to sort of these, I always look at sales as sort of a series of moments, right? Any sort of interaction with the buyer or let's say a buying experience from start to finish is a series of moments. Mm-hmm. And and so much of the talk about enablement in the past, at least for me, has always been sort of at this macro level where I think following up what you were saying, if I understood what you were saying correctly, is it's like we really have to enable people in those moments and be able to measure the effectiveness of those moments. And yeah, one of the key measures of, of the effectiveness is do those moments have any value to the buyer? And I think that gets lost, right? I think that we're so concerned about processes and systems and so on, but at the heart of it, the thing we really have to enable sellers to be able to do is say, yeah, I need to have a solid, let's sort of borrow a term from Gartner, they talk about knowledge-based sales interaction Mm -hmm. that has value for the buyer. And if it doesn't have value for the buyer, then we failed. 100%. And I think it's just that, right? How do we create an engagement strategy that will improve the buyer's confidence in their decision throughout that sales process? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, making sure we get them the right information um, that's specific to their buying activity. So if we model and understand the persona and we understand the various questions that will come up and why they're in need, um, 
I, I, I think it's critical. And so how do we implement a content strategy, for example, that focuses on helping buyers evaluate the right information throughout their purchasing cycle? How do we align sellers with the knowledge um, that's, that that information is applicable to the buyer's sales stage requirements? How do we provide the right tools to make sellers um, present things that are contextual, whether it's in conversation or email or content, so that they can help their prospects or customers through this process. Because ultimately, you have to build trust. And very few buyers today um, feel their, their vendors are trustworthy. And so I think uh, there's a lot of work to be done there. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I tend to... As you, as you know, I tend to take it down to that that individual level really quickly, and and because to me that that human interaction, that's that those series of human interactions are going to drive everything you talk about. You know, the trustworthiness, the perception of trustworthiness, the perception of value that the buyers feel they're receiving from the seller as well as the company. And you know, as you're talking about, you know, providing content, and you know, we're talking about context, but. It seems like we have we have to find a way in this world is to enable you know better or deeper let's say business acumen on the part of sellers so they understand the context or so in the moment because we can give them all the tools in the world but yeah you know, they're going to run into something different every time they sell to someone how do we how do we enable them to have that acumen that understanding that breadth of understanding the context in order to respond appropriately in a way that that has value for the buyer that moves the progress process forward yeah and it's something you and i have spent a great deal of time discussing it's it's hard to teach somebody uh ace a a tool um business acumen sales acumen um the ability to interview and ask questions uh, technology acumen all at the same time. And depending on where a sales rep is in their um, in their own career, uh, it very much differs, right? So figuring out how to create um, continuous education, right? Training paths and micro-learning um, moments mm-hmm. to, to educate our trainers or to educate, not not our trainers, um, our reps. Um, at the same time, we do have to educate our trainers because yeah. teaching people how to coach um, is just important, just as important as teaching people how to sell. It, we can't expect um, our our reps to just go out there and do a great job if they have coaches or trainers who also don't know how to provide those learning moments, who also don't know how to manage the process themselves. And I think that a lot of times we've taken sales reps and turned them into sales leaders. And quite frankly, they don't know how to coach and they no. don't know how to train. They haven't been they haven't been trained on those skills. So creating continuous education processes, training paths, micro-learning, just-in-time learning, um, you know, uh, having opportunities for role play, um, quizzes, assessments, mm-hmm. um, all these things that will allow both managers and reps the ability to hone their skills is critical. Yeah, and I, one of the 
reasons that we changed the, the name of Accelerate to enablement, the sales enablement podcast is because there are all these areas that you pointed out that we need to enable people to be able to perform at higher levels. And it seems like this is uh, something that's, that's generally missing is because we assume to some degree that, yeah, our sales leaders, our managers, since we promote them, therefore, de facto, they must have this knowledge about how to coach performance, how to make people or help people get better. And, and they haven't been enabled with that. And so that's you know, one of the things we're trying to move along here with the show. Be one of the things you'll hear is, yeah, how do we how do we enable achievement? How do we enable performance? And there's lots of fields with you know highly trained professionals that, that are being coached in this, and it's something that we haven't picked up enough in sales. Yeah, and I love I love the fact that you're focused on sales enablement as a almost as a movement, right? Because I think it, it, it really encompasses several key aspects of, of uh, the buyer journey and the sales and matching that buyer's journey to the sales process, right? So it's customer-facing sales, which is mm-hmm. really sales content, which is used to educate prospective or existing customers, right? To encourage purchases um, or assist buyer decision-making process, right? There's the internal knowledge transfer, right? Sales and marketing content thing can then be used to convey um, new product information or new sales skills. There's seller onboarding. How how do you initially train your new hires? There's sales coaching, right? Um, live and practice pitches. You can record them. You could use conversation analytics, um, peer-to-peer, manager-to-peer selling, um, all of these methodologies to help really hone and train reps. There's continuous education. There's there's uh, inside sales reps and their process, which is around engagement and first call pitches and um, business acumen and asking great questions and discovering pain. There are just so many different aspects now of sales enablement um, that's so rich and so relevant to the buying process today. So one question, and the sort of I don't know, play on your training as a, a clinical psychologist is, and I was having this discussion with somebody last week as interview I was doing for the show, is, is how much can we reasonably expect uh, individual sellers to enable themselves, right? We talk about continuous learning, active learning, continuous development, personal development. How much can we reasonably expect the individual to really invest in that? As a matter of, is it, been a matter of how we make these opportunities to enable themselves available, or is it? Yeah, you know, this person I was talking to was saying, "Look, once we get people trained, you know, may we're being unrealistic and expecting people to ever get much better." And you know, that didn't strike me as something I wanted to accept. I'm just <laughs> interested interested in your ideas on that. Well, look, Andy, you were a incredible sales rep in your own right. And one of the things I find to be true with most amazing sales reps is they have a constant thirst for knowledge. They have an intellectual curiosity. They have a drive to always succeed and do better. And so if you are looking across your teams and you have those that are simply trained, onboarded, and ready to go, and that's the extent of it, those are probably people you want to eventually gift back to the community, 
I want a sales team of people. I love that expression. Who, <laughs> I, I want a team of people who are constantly learning, uh, who are interested in the craft and the science of selling and business, who want to constantly be helpful to others, um, who have a thirst for connection. Th those are the type of people that I want on my team. Well, and so I, here's another question along the same lines. And in, and you and I, you and I both seen you know sales managers of various types and various personality types. Everybody has experienced this, but I wonder how much of this with the individuals really down to their manager because in the environment that that we create. Because I I think people you know sort of looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Is is you know what do sellers want to be able to feel? They want to feel like they do their jobs well, that they're good at what they do. Not necessarily that everybody doesn't have to be a superstar, right? I mean, they're good at what they do. They feel good about how they do it. And they want to think that they can improve. And I wonder whether we're, we've gotten to this mode where we're just, we're not encouraging that, right? We're so focused on perhaps activity metrics and other things that, that you know, dividing people into A players, B players, C players, and so on, that doesn't encourage people to either feel good about what they're doing or feel that they can improve. Yeah, I think the la the the worst thing you could do to a person is is rob them of hope. We we all have to strive to uh, be our better selves to improve. I think that that's what keeps people going. And um, you know, you want uh, sales trainers, sales coaches, mentors who enable us to be better, who give us tools to improve. Uh, on a daily basis, who provide us feedback, constructive feedback that helps us grow um, opportunities to enrich uh, our experience and thereby providing a better, more, more, uh, a better, richer experience to those prospects, prospects, customers that we're talking to. Mm -hmm. So the the job of a great coach, mentor, teacher. Um, is to really show someone their own potential and to help them drive towards that. Uh, I think we've all had coaches, hopefully, or teachers that have made massive impact in our lives. And typically it was because they had that, that moment in time where they heard us, um, they felt what we were going through, and they provided some direction. And they showed us the poss what's possible. And I think those are the type of coaches, trainers, teachers that we should all aspire to be. And in doing so, we'll create great sales reps, great salespeople, great um, team players. And even if, if it happens to some extent that, yeah, you, you're not adhering to the process, right? Precisely because it seems like one of the hard things I've seen in, in multiple sales organizations over the last 10, 15 years is this, Growing reluctance to let people sort of, you know, find the best path for themselves. You know, we tend to be more rigid and wanting people to comply to a process. And I think that's really down to the manager, not feeling comfortable, like feeling maybe it's too risky to let this person, you know, very if I let one person serve, very a little bit, I'll let somebody else. But but we have to let people find that path where they can succeed to the best of their abilities. Yeah. Yeah, that's a it, it's a balance, right? And I think we see that in professional sports sometimes too where uh you know, talking to a Dodger fan here where mm -hmm. you 
you pull out your reliever because that's what the analytics tell you you should be doing. And unfortunately, you pull someone in and the momentum is gone and you know you end up losing the World Series. Now, that's a very <laughs> dramatic example. But that's exactly what happened, though. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly what happened. But right. I think that in some ways, we we take our analytics, we take uh, our predictive models, and we assume that that's the only way to get to uh, our end state, our preferred end state. And unfortunately, it removes the human complexity. It removes the individuality. It removes the, the, um, the context of the moment. And, you know, that any model is just that. It's a model. I think that's one thing that we've learned through this COVID-19 is there's a lot of models and models are inherently incorrect, meaning they don't always work. You're trying to actually prove the model is inaccurate and to what degree. And that's where humans are so incredible, right? On a daily mm -hmm. basis, uh, if we study human beings, they constantly surpass our expectations. They constantly are surprising us. And how do we set up an organization that allows for that creativity while at the same time, sure, you want to eliminate mundane tasks. You want to provide predictive recommendations, right? To be helpful. You want to give people more information that that will make them more effective but you don't want to remove remove the humanness that's the constant uh discussion around artificial intelligence how can we provide artificial intelligence that will make people more human um and not take away the humanness the 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 ability to sense and feel emotions and and read the situation um how do we provide insight without taking away our humanity right yeah i mean I, I i think that's an exciting future personally um but that is the challenge as you talked about because i think one of the things that that we see is that there'll be a certain portion of the sales cadre that will say well if i can have ai do that bit for me then i'll let it as opposed to saying yeah like, i'm going to use it to make me better so I think yeah, I think it would be interesting to see how that that all unfolds. So one last thing I wanted to dive into is is I'm tied a little bit to the topic about AI, but but you know, one of your passions is is conversations, conversationalism. Let's say uh, hopefully I'm not creating a new word there. There are conversationalists, <laughs> so I presume there's conversationalism. I like it; it works. <laughs> yeah, I might talk before about sales as a series of moments. Those moments are conversations. So how? We have to make those more effective. We have to have better outcomes of those. What are you seeing is really the key for us to be able to, again, create sellers that are more proficient in those moments? It's a really, really important question. And I think it strikes on, it strikes at the very answer you're looking for, which is the questions we ask. Conversations really are about uh, building rapport, asking great questions, um, getting people to open up, understand mm -hmm. uh, the the situation that people are in, provide context. Um, there is a level of emotional intelligence, which means you have to be situationally aware. Um, 
you know, and there are basic techniques to conversations that, uh, that make people, some people more productive than others. So the, the, the fact of the matter is that you have run a very successful podcast because you have the ability to get your guests to open up. You do that by asking great questions and providing insight uh, where appropriate, and you do a lot of listening. That, that is the same technique that you would utilize if you're a therapist, if you're a sales rep, if you're a father to your children, or if you're a, a spouse to your loved one. The, the ability to actually listen, ask questions, um, and provide your own experience uh, in my in my experience, is what leads to the best conversations and typically the best outcomes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that a big part of that, which we are going to stress increasingly, and I'm stressing in my writing and so on, is this idea about the value of understanding. Right, that we don't make assumptions, we don't make presumptions about just because we have a well-defined persona of a buyer, we, we can't take any of that for, for granted, that this is the way they feel, this is the reason they feel that way, is that the customer knowing that we understand their situation is a huge source of value for them. We talk about you know creating value, delivering value to buyers, but what's not talked about enough is how much understanding is a source of value and a source of trust. And I think it just gets overlooked and something we want to continue to emphasize. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I really couldn't. I think um, we all have this. We all have this feeling that we need to be understood, Um, and we spend too much of the time trying to make others understand us. Uh, If we flip that to, we know that the basic one basic need, human need, is to be understood. And we spend more time trying to understand others, that will help them see the value in us. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Howard, fantastic conversation. Um, we've unfortunately run out of time for today, but I want to thank you for joining us We're here on our, our debut episode of the Sales Enablement Podcast. Well, I couldn't be more excited. And uh, I look forward to spending more time with you, Andy, and I, and I wish you all the success um, with the new Sales Enablement Podcast. All right. Well, thank you. And, and just in leaving, I want to share some wisdom that I'd come across recently from Zig Ziglar, which I thought was uh, profound just for the audience, is, is a quote he said, you can make positive deposits in your own economy every day by reading and listening to powerful, positive, life-changing content and by associating with encouraging and hope-building people. And we hope this is the place where you come to get your powerful, positive, life-changing content. So thank you for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you join us next time on the Sales Enablement Podcast. Thanks, Andy. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Howard. Bye-bye.